Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I am Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Thank you for being here with us this week, Dr. Maurice. So there's a lot going on with serologic testing now at Mayo Clinic, including the release of a neutralizing antibody test and mass screening of employees using dried blood spots. So let's start by talking about the new neutralizing antibody test. Can you tell us a little bit about this test and how it came about? Yeah, I'd love to, Bobby. It's, again, it's a pleasure to be here, as always. Um, for those that can't see, because it's a podcast, I'm experimenting with facial hair now. A little bit late, <laughs> probably, in the stay-at-home. But anyways, um, the, it's a, actually, at the inception of the pandemic, shortly thereafter, we actually established an innovation effort uh, within DLMP in collaboration with our Center for Individualized Medicine, where we have the Advanced Diagnostics Laboratory, which is a dedicated facility uh, to look at translational diagnostics. And we had a number of activities in there uh, in early March, and that was entirely repurposed to look at COVID innovation, to start to innovate out in front of the COVID pandemic as opposed to just responding to it. Um, both the serologic testing, the dry blood spots that we're gonna hopefully get a chance to talk about as well, as, and the neutralizing antibody efforts both came out of that. So in the very early days, uh, then as we were starting to stand up the the innovation efforts for COVID diagnostics. Uh, Dr. Stephen Russell, who is the founder and CEO of Viriat, which is a, a, a company based here in Rochester, he actually is a Mayo hematologist. And so since I'm a hematopathologist, we've worked together for years. Um, he reached out to me saying that uh, he was going to be working on a neutralizing antibody assay with Regeneron, because Regeneron is a major investor in Viriad. So that gave him access to reagents and things. And Viriad is a company that's looking at viral vaccination uh, for cancer treatment. So they have some viral constructs that they were gonna try and repurpose to make a neutralizing antibody assay. So that's really where it, that they, it started. I remember there on the IBM, old IBM campus here in Rochester and Dr. Muhammad Salam and I actually spent a day uh, Saturday with Dr. Russell and his team, just kind of brainstorming with them what they were thinking and planning how we might be able to collaborate. And that's where it started. Um, luckily, as part of that COVID innovation, recognized that we really needed a team-based approach consistent with our Mayo Clinic values to try and really get our best work done as quickly as possible. So we also recruited in Dr. John Mills, a very innovative uh, young uh, consultant within our department that actually has done a lot in terms of uh, helping to develop our our mass spec uh, immunoglobulin testing actually that's re re replaced protein electrophoresis now works in the neuroimmunology lab and so he was bought in not because he is a microbiologist but just because he has great expertise in innovation with antibody-based laboratory assays and so he helped us uh, really took the lead uh, on working with dr russell and Viriad and developing the test together so, and then what the test does, just for people that don't know, is it actually, the serologic test measures for the presence of antibodies within someone's serum uh, to SARS-CoV-2, which of course is then indicative that someone's been exposed to the virus and has generated an immune response. Uh, one of the main functions of those antibodies in protecting against the infection is actually blocking the ability of the virus to infect a human cell. So, and so-called neutralizing the infectivity of the virus. And so what this assay does, is it actually takes the antibodies which we detect by serologic studies and then tests their ability to actually block uh, the 
the ability of the SARS-CoV-2 virus or something similar to it, which is what our assay is, to actually infect cells. So we can actually then say, and there we actually run a titer, uh, meaning we determine what is the strength of neutralizing activity of the sera if it doesn't even have that ability to block viral infection. Well, thanks, Bill. That's fascinating. And I have to admit, I never given much thought to the different types of antibodies and whether they're neutralizing versus activating. So I think this is an important advance in our ability to uh, detect previous exposure to uh, COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So I think we'll be spending more time on a future podcast talking more about neutralizing antibodies specifically. So let's transition to employee screening now, not using the neutralizing antibody test, but using one of our standard conventional um, antibody tests for COVID-19. So we are screening all of the employees throughout the Mayo Clinic Enterprise. Um, can you tell us about this and the scope and, and the purpose behind this program? Sure, I would love to. Uh, it, it's really, it is an enterprise program, as you say. Uh, it really took some effort to get to that level, uh, or to that decision, and not only the decision, but the ability to actually operationalize an enterprise-wide serologic testing uh, program for our own employees. Uh, this actually started, it, as it turns out, uh, of course, we have Mayo Clinic in Arizona and Mayo Clinic in Florida. The different states, in particular Florida, has had some different approaches to healthcare workers screening for COVID uh, disease or SARS-CoV-2 exposure. And so I, I think, for instance, in the state of Florida, they're trying to provide free testing for all healthcare workers. So there was immediately, of course, an interest from our own employees on every campus and in the health system in Eau Claire and elsewhere, I mean, at, whether or not they were exposed. And of course, that's the purpose of the serologic testing is to actually determine if someone has been exposed and generated an antibody-based immune response. And so there was a strong desire for us to do that, uh, but then really walking through, A, how we were going to have it covered because we were having this discussion right at the inception of the pandemic when we knew we were gonna be facing extremely dire financial circumstances. So we had to be very frugal with what, you know, and thoughtful about how we allocated any of our funds, especially as we're having to take measures like asking people to take furloughs. Um, and then number two, once we got and identified the funding, uh, then what is the actual plan? Then there's differences uh, in terms of whether it's a voluntary versus a mandatory plan as well from a legal perspective as from an employment law perspective There's actually big differences. So uh, we had to make some key decisions Was it how we're gonna pay for it? Would it be voluntary? And then last but not least would be how would we roll it out? Um, to make sure that uh, We had some Equitability because we knew a lot of people were going to want access to the testing And so how are we going to make it available in a way that balanced that appetite for people just to know versus areas where we really need to know where there's been exposure in the practice. So that those were all the key elements. And then how are we gonna stay coordinated across the three sites? Uh, with, with each site kind of having different regional responses to this for testing of healthcare workers. So we need to stay sort of current to the, to the current um, testing protocols, which might be different in Arizona, Florida, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So a lot of things to consider. I'm sure our, our listeners are now saying, so how did you roll it out or what are the plans? So, the, so the, one of the big things, honestly, was to, um, in terms of who got tested, we really engaged the department chairs uh, because we, they felt they really knew which areas of their departments there was the greatest need to understand who might have been exposed. Again, this is not, uh, an, uh, this is not an IRB-driven protocol, so it's not like there's study cohorts, and, and so it really was left, to just, it's a program to try and just assess uh, exposure in different uh, 
uh, facets of our organization. So we engaged the department chairs to help us decide who would actually get the testing. Uh, we worked with Dr. Ting, Dr. Carter. Um, Dr. Ting is our chief value officer for Mayo Clinic. Um, who has uh, in his purview all the analytics teams, Dr. Neela Shah and others that can help. They've designed all the tools that help us kind of plan for our, the institutional response to the pandemic. They've also were involved in what, what the testing protocols look like to draw meaningful conclusions for those. You know, how, how often would we need to repeat those sorts of things? How many people would we need to test? Um, how many tests would we need to make available? So that was a big part of it was working with Dr. Ting and his team, John Pose, his administrative partner and Dr. Carter. And then um, last but not least was also trying to just understand then the mechanics of how do you do it? Because we're talking about 70,000 employees and Venus draws on 70,000 employees. I, we, it was calculated, uh, even the best phlebotomist could do, I think, uh, I, I'm going to be wrong on the number, but it was on the order of hundreds, not thousands that we would need, even if we offered overtime and weekend collections, it would take way too long. Um, so we really then pivoted to another one of our innovation efforts, and that was the use of a dried blood spot, uh, meaning dry, you know, finger prick blood that's put onto a piece of filter paper, um, and then taking that into the lab and taking the serum off of it, uh, eluding it from the paper and doing the testing on that, because that then becomes much more uh, higher throughput in terms of specimen collection. So th that's, that was the other piece of it. You know, it's really interesting listening to how this came about and how it just got operationalized, because if you think about it, um, I wouldn't have thought about having phlebotomists and just what that would have entailed, but now that I envision it, that now that you've mentioned it, I can't even imagine how many blood draws, all those needles and the sharps and just having people lined up and, and you know, it's not always possible to get a good blood draw on each person. So using something like a dried blood spot from just a simple fingerprint prick uh, lancet is a really neat use of our innovation activities. You know, I'm particularly interested in dried blood spots and other ways that people could collect specimens at home. So I'm excited about future possibilities, but that's not how we're doing this particular rollout, correct? It's a, more of a, a healthcare worker performed dried blood spot collection. Yes, and so it's a, a course with, with COVID testing. The push now as we look at um, opening up uh, societies, opening up businesses, is to do as much testing uh, before someone is at a facility as possible. So that's gonna be a real, real drive to have at-home testing for individuals, both serologic as well as viral testing. The challenge is that uh, the FDA is stepping in and saying that to really uh, use these methods and to send them to someone's home, you have to not only prove that you can do the test off of in, in the dry blood spot or whatever collection device you might use, but also that people have the ability to actually use it because it doesn't do any good to have a dry blood spot collection if people don't really know how to you know, create the dry blood spot. So, um, so what we decided to do here, and that's pretty, so as you can imagine, that's a lot of work and we really wanted to get started with the study as soon as possible or this program, I should say. So what we've done is we've realized that uh, if someone's being supervised by a nurse so they can ask questions, um, then they can actually use the, do the frame prick and do the testing themselves under a supervised setting. So that was kind of how we managed to do this. You know, we'll have nurses, uh, nurse stations where someone can come in and create their own dry blood spot. If they have questions or problems, then the nurse can help them. So it's sort of a way uh, to get the dry blood spot technology going 
without having to go through all the work of getting it FDA approved for at-home testing. Well, it's kind of a nice compromise in that it's a first step and we will probably learn a lot by seeing people using the dried blood spot technique and that could help shape future at-home collection programs as well. I think that's right. I think that if, um, you know, there's the fingers, the finger prick is some people don't mind it at all. Some people really don't like it. Some people really struggle. Um, you know, uh, particularly people who work with their hands and might have calluses and things, they might really stay actually can struggle to get a good specimen. So I actually think it's a legitimate concern by the FDA and this will give us a chance really under controlled setting to see how, how easy is it for people to use. So I think it's, that's, it's the right way to go. Ultimately, I think as you know, as you work on this, we might need multiple ways to do at-home collection because some things might work for some people, not others. Yeah, agreed. Well, very exciting stuff. Thanks again, Bill, for uh, sharing all of the updates with us. Sure. Yeah, it's funny. I, uh, but now our podcast is too short. Who would know, who knew it? Our updates continue, <laughs> it continues to grow. So it's all, all good stuff. Yeah. Great. Well, I will talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.